Today on Living Truth Radio, Pastor Michael Lance is in Genesis chapter 47 with a message entitled, Blessing in Egypt, where we see an interaction between the leader of Egypt and the leader of Israel. Genesis 47, we're going to look at a message tonight called Blessing in Egypt, Blessing in Egypt. When the Lord originally called Abram to go forth from his country, from his relatives, from his father's house to the land which God would show him, he said these words, I will make you a great nation, I will bless you, I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All right, we're looking at blessing in Egypt. Here's the first verse. Genesis 47, verse one says, Then Joseph went in and told Pharaoh and said, My father and my brothers and their flocks and their herds and all that they have have come out of the land of Canaan, and behold, they are in the land of Goshen. And he took five men among his brothers. We don't know which five, but five of his brothers. And he presented them to Pharaoh. Now, Joseph is kind of this rare breed, and we've been watching this young man who now is somewhere around 40 years old. He was sold into slavery at 17, and now he is 40. So you could say he is uh, a man who uh, has matured, and he's got a, a good amount of life experience, but he's got a good amount of, obviously, spiritual experience, and he has watched God favor him through good times and bad times. And he has been a man that's been stretched and watched the faithfulness of God. And he has made some preparations for his family. As his family moved into the, they were traveling and he, they first were presented to him. Uh, he had given them some things to do. And this is uh, Genesis 46, look at verse uh, 29. Joseph prepared his chariot, he went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. As soon as he appeared before him, he fell on his neck and he wept on his neck a long time. That was that beautiful reunion and restoration of that relationship. Israel said to Joseph, now let me die, since I have seen your face, that you are still alive. I can go to heaven now, right? But he's gonna live 17 more years. And Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and will say to him, my brothers and my father's household who were in the land of Canaan, that's gonna become the land of Israel, have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. And it shall come about when Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? That you shall say, your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth, even until now, both we and our fathers, that you may live in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is loathsome to the Egyptians. Now I pointed out, that was the la- end of last time that we were together, and I believe that Joseph is doing something very strategic for his family, whether he knows all the reasons or not, but they're gonna live in the fertile place of Goshen in a time of famine, and it's gonna keep them protected and purified And remember, this family, as we looked at the numbers, there are only about 70 people right now. And when they leave Egypt, some 430 years later, they are going to be over 2 million people. So they are going to greatly multiply in this land. And one of the things that God wants to do is preserve the line to the Messiah. So this is gonna ensure their protection. Joseph, some people have called him a rare combination and even asked whether or not it's possible to be a saint and a politician at the same time. 
Have you ever <laughs> asked a question like that? Is it possible to be a Christian and someone involved in politics? Some of you may know that we have a pastor on our own uh, board here in the city of Corona. And uh, I will tell you this, Randy Fox, who is a very good man and a longtime pastor in the city of Orange. In fact, he's pastored a church in the city of Orange, though he's lived in Corona. And I think he just now is moving on from that pastorate. And it's been close to three decades now. He's been faithful to this little congregation in the city of Orange. And he's been, he entered into the, into the political realm. And if you've ever been to any of those meetings in the city, you know that Randy has caught some heat from people for his stands as a Christian. And he's not ashamed to be a Christian, but he's taken some heat for his beliefs. And he just says, you know, his responses have been quite impressive. He's kind of just said, I'm really glad that you know that I'm a believer in Jesus Christ and I make the decisions I make because of the Bible and what I believe. That's really cool that you know that. <laughs> his responses have been, you know, anyway, I'm not gonna go there. I'm not gonna tell you what sometimes my responses might have been in those situations, but... Better to stay silent sometimes. It may be as difficult for a man to be godly and a politician, says one writer, this is James Boyce, as it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. But it is not impossible. Now I know that this room is probably, you know, you, you guys may not be in politics, but a lot of you are in business. And business sometimes brings up some of the same challenges that come up in the political world. Because in business, when you're running a business or you're part of corporate America or wherever you may work, you're dealing with ideas and stresses and deadlines and challenges and there's questions that come up about your morality and your behavior in a company. And the question that I think, I think a lot of Christians either ask out loud or quietly in their heart is, can I be a Christian at my company? Is it possible for me to retain my standards? You know, we've been talking on Sunday mornings, we're doing a whole series in Titus on grace and godliness. And I've told you that godliness can be defined as a God-centered life or a God-dominated life. And by the way, that doesn't end when you hit the doors on Sunday. You all know that, right? Your biggest challenge will not be whether or not you can be a Christian inside these walls, although I know some of you are challenged by that when you meet certain people inside these walls. I'm just kidding. That was just a joke. <laughs> but, but when you go outside into that world and you're on the freeway and you're dealing with your company and maybe you have a challenging boss or you know uh, whatever the different things that you face, and I'll just say this to you, just so you know that I understand your dilemma I worked in corporate America for many years myself. In fact, I was at the same company for a decade. We dealt in the realm of the Fortune 500. I made presentations to you know, executives and that kind of stuff. I lived in that world. And in fact, while I was doing that, I pastored the church for 18 months and worked that job. So I know what it's like, and I was the, I was the pastor at the company. So whenever debates were happening about moral issues of the day, you know, of course, Pastor Michael chimed in. And um, it, was, it was really interesting. And I think God allowed me to have favor in that company and to allow my voice to be heard. But 
I wanna ask a question, and, and I think it's a question that we all face, and if we're gonna be real tonight, the question is, can I take my Christianity to my company? Can I take my Christianity to my community? Can I take my Christianity to my country? Can I take it to hobbies I do? Should it go everywhere? And, and, and maybe that's the wrong way to phrase it because that shouldn't, it shouldn't be can you take it there. It's, the question is, are you a Christian? <laughs> if you're a Christian, how can you help but having that spill over to every area of your life? You can't dichotomize your Christian life, folks. You can't. You need to be a Christian where you are. Now, I don't think that that means that you need to be reading your Bible at your desk when you're supposed to be working. In fact, I know it doesn't mean that. But, I, but what it does mean is that you have the same integrity, the same values, the same godliness that you are learning about in Scripture that you take it out into the world. Otherwise, we're not gonna be salt and light in this world. Amen? If we, start, if we start compromising in the world, we're gonna be in trouble. And Joseph is the answer to the question, can a man be a saint and a politician or even a businessman? And the answer to that question is look at Joseph. Now we're gonna hear some stuff about Joseph um, in this chapter that some people wrestle with a little bit. We'll talk about that. But um, here, here's a quote that I thought was really good. This writer said, shrewdness, by the way, to be shrewd is to use your wit and intelligence to be successful. Shrewdness is not alien to holiness. You can be shrewd and wise and good at what you do, whether it's business or even politics, and not compromise your holiness. Now, I know that that sometimes can feel like a little bit of a balancing act to us, but I think it's quite possible, and I think Joseph is an example of that. But notice that Joseph is shrewd. He knows what Pharaoh is going to ask. He knows how to protect his family. So he's kind of setting this up. And he told his brothers, look, when you get presented before him, when dad, when you get presented before Pharaoh, emphasize that you guys are shepherds, and I think this is gonna help with our location in the land of Goshen. Jesus told a story about a shrewd steward, and he wasn't, uh, Jesus is not complimenting the shrewd steward in the story. The one who compliments him is his own boss. But Jesus uses the illustration. This is Luke 16, 8, and he says, his master praised the unrighteous steward because he had acted shrewdly. The word in Greek for shrewdly can be defined as prudently, sensibly, wisely. It's the idea of practical wisdom with understanding according to insight. In fact, I would say that Jesus was shrewd at times, don't you think? I mean, when he, when he sat down or put people in their place, he was wise. He used wise language. He used stories uh, to put people often in their place. The shrewd steward here, he acted shrewdly. And then he says, for the sons of this age, the world, are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. What he means by that is that when it comes to the gospel, we never compromise, but we should be wise about how we win people. We should be strategic. We should be thinking ahead. We should be thinking about how can we win our community? How can we make inroads into this place and that place with the message of the gospel? Because we truly believe it is a life-saving, life-transforming message, do we not? But we have open doors in this community. We have open doors on radio sometimes. And I'll tell you what, there's not a lack of open doors quite often, but there's certainly a lack of people who are willing to walk through them. 
And I just want you to think about that for a second. There's open doors everywhere. Jesus said the fields are what? They're white unto harvest. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that'll send out more, what? Workers into the harvest field. Jesus didn't say pray that the gospel will will be more effective. Look, the gospel is already imbued with God's power. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It's the dunamis of God. The issue is not the power of the gospel. The issue is whether or not we're willing to share it. The issue is not the power of the gospel or God's willingness to meet us where we step out. The the issue is whether or not we're willing to be shrewd about what really, really matters. Hey folks, this is Pastor Michael Lance and this is Living Truth Radio and we'll be back to the teaching in a moment. I want to tell you about a special offer that we have available at Living Truth Radio. It's a book that I've written called Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God. It's all about spiritual warfare. It's all about how to overcome temptation, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And it's a special offer. Go to our website, livingtruthradio.org. Click on the donate button. And for any donation, we will send you a copy of that book. Just let us know in the contact form that you'd like a copy of that book. And now, back to the teaching. Well, Pharaoh said to his brothers in this formal presentation to the Pharaoh, remember the Pharaoh, you know, if you've ever seen the movie The Ten Commandments, I keep bringing it up in our (laughs) study on Thursday morning, and there's kind of a mixed crowd. I say, Yul Brenner, Charlton Heston, about half the crowd, yeah, 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 half the crowd, what are you talking about? I understand, sort of, kind of, Watch the movie so you... (laughs) Anyway. Well, if you ever saw scenes from that movie, you know the Pharaoh had people all around him. He had multitudes of servants. He had people fanning him. He had gold, a gold chair, and people came up and gave him gifts and everything. It was a whole to-do. And here, there's some sort of formal presentation. The Pharaoh is meeting Joseph's brothers, and he says to them, what's his first question? Look at verse three. What is what? (laughs) What's your occupation? Have you noticed that that seems to be the first question of a lot of people when you meet them? They want to know what you do. What do you do for a living? Um, I'm not sure that what I do for a living defines me all the time, right? Right? I mean, when Paul was making a tent, he might say, well, what I do to make money is I make tents. But who I am is much more than tent making, amen? And who you are is much more than how you make an income. You know, some of us have the privilege to be in full-time ministry, but uh, even for most of our pastors, talk to our pastors afterwards and find out their stories. I think the bulk of our pastors worked for a long time in the secular world before ever going into full-time paid ministry. We were in full-time ministry. <laughs> we just weren't paid for it. <laughs> so here's the idea. So what's your occupation? And I will just say this to you. When someone's asking, you might say, well, this is what I do to make a living, but this is who I am. Do you want to know who I am? Then ask me about what my favorite team is. Then you'll know. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) See, what really defines me is my relationship with the living God. Jesus Christ is the foundation of everything that I am. 
Now, I don't always walk into rooms and announce that, but if you get to know me after a little bit of time, you're gonna find out who my Savior is and who my Lord is. Well, he says, what do you do? They said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds, both we and our fathers. Now, you can imagine Joseph, you know, he's coached his brothers a little bit. Good, good, good answer. That's exactly what I told you. Good one. And then they said, and they said, verse 4, to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn in the land. <laughs> can you feel Joseph saying, no, nothing extra, please. Have you ever given someone to share information? Okay. This is what you are to say. Let me do the rest of the talking. And then they, the opening line seems to sit well, and then they keep going like, no, no. They keep talking. They said, we've come to sojourn in the land, and there's no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. <laughs> you have to imagine Pharaoh going, uh, yeah, yeah. Thanks, Captain Obvious. Now, therefore, please let your servants live in the land of Goshen. So they added a little something there, but Pharaoh was gracious and quick to oblige. Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. This is good. The land of Egypt, notice, is at your disposal. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them live in the land of Goshen. And if you know any capable men among them, among your brothers, then put them in charge of my livestock. Not only does the Pharaoh say, hey, they can have the best of the land, and that's something that he did promise in the previous chapter, and he makes good on that. But he says, hey, if your brothers are good at this thing, they can watch over the royal livestock too, he even offers them employment. Can you believe it? That's a blessing, right? And I think the Pharaoh's saying, look, if your brothers are anything like you, everything you touch multiplies. Everything you seem to put your hand to, you have the favor of this God. So if your brothers are anything like you, I want to hire them too. You can see Pharaoh's position, right? And I think some bosses who see a good Christian man or woman of integrity and the hand of God is upon them and you bring that blessing into a company, I think a wise boss, even if they're not a Christian, might say, if there's more like you, bring them to the company. I'll put them in charge of the cash register because I know you Christians have something called a commandment. <laughs> Thou shall not steal. All owners of companies know that one. So they appreciate people who take that seriously. Amen? <laughs> All right, so he had been blessed in every uh, way. Arcane, he says Joseph's virtually boundless favor was extended to Jacob's family. Unbelievably, in addition to keeping his initial promise of the best of the land, you can write down 4518, Pharaoh even offered the brothers employment as superintendents of the royal cattle. So things were going well. And then next, in this formal presentation, Joseph brought his father, Jacob, and presented him to Pharaoh. Now the brothers, you know, Pharaoh initiated, right? What's your occupation? Nice to meet your brothers. But notice now that the aged Jacob, or Israel, comes in. He's presented to Pharaoh in some formal way. And notice what happens next. You would expect that maybe now... And this is kind of interesting to think about. You have the leader of Egypt, the Pharaoh, meeting the leader of Israel, Jacob. This is quite an interesting moment when you think about the implications of what this means and even the future history of these two countries. 
And it is Jacob who takes the lead. And you might be surprised, but before the Pharaoh, by the way, the Pharaoh was thought to be a god. They thought he was a god-man in some sense. They said he was the incarnate son of Ra, the sun god. So they put a very high you know, position upon him, but it is Jacob who takes the lead, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. See that word blessed there in your Bible? That word blessed is an interesting word because it's a word that means to invoke the favor of God upon someone. Now, we know that uh, we say God bless you for a number of reasons. Often when we sneeze, we say to somebody, God bless you. How many of you sneeze in threes or fours? Anybody? All right. Multiple people. So we wait till you're done because you go, <laughs> right. Right? We don't want us to try to fit in a God bless you every time, you know. I don't even know what the origin of that is. I've heard some people say that they say when you sneeze, you lose, what is it? A, your heart stops. <laughs> well, that's a good reason. <laughs> May your heart start again. God bless you, right? Are you, are you troubled sometimes when people don't say it when you sneeze? Okay. You sneeze and you're like... <laughs> What do you want, my heart to stop? <laughs> What's wrong with you people? But, but that's almost said is, that's a cultural thing almost, you know? How about, how about, when are the other times you say God bless you to people? You might uh, send them a text and you say, now we have emojis for everything. Is that what they're called, emojis? <laughs> is it the prayer hands now? You don't even need to spell it out anymore. I'd, I'd be really careful with that. But anyway, <laughs> I heard a Bible's coming out. Did you guys hear that? The emoji, Bible. the emoji Bible. I don't even know what to say about that, so I'll just leave that alone. But Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Now, I'm, I'm going to assume for the moment that Pharaoh is a pagan ruler, especially if he's thought to be the embodiment of the sun god Ra. Why in the world would Jacob bless this man? Do you know that if you really mean what you say, when you say God bless you to somebody, do you know that that shouldn't be just taken lightly? In fact, you should never use God's name lightly. Never. So if you're going to say God bless you to somebody, you know, that really has more power than you might think. Because you're invoking the name of the true God of the Bible upon someone. And I think when you're doing it with that good intention, it's wonderful to ask God to bless somebody. And I don't think that it just applies to non-Christians, or to Christians, but I think it can apply to non-Christians. In fact, Paul says, when you're persecuted, you should what? Bless. Well, how, do you, how do you bless someone when you're being persecuted? These are some of the toughest verses in the Bible. Read Romans 12 again, and you'll see some very challenging information where it says that when you're persecuted, you should bless. I don't know about you, but I find it very hard when being persecuted to say, oh, God bless you, sir, ma'am. I told a story, it wasn't. Um, probably that long ago, but some of you may not have heard it. I did a memorial service for a fire chief that had passed away, and we're in a very uh, extravagant um, 
sanctuary. We're at a mortuary, and people were coming back by the casket, and they were paying respects. And you know, oftentimes as a pastor, you'll hear nice. Nice message, Pastor. Thank you for being here, Pastor. We appreciate it. But this little old man came by me and he said, uh, I just want to let you know I didn't come here to hear your Sunday sermon. I came here to hear about my friend here. I didn't come here. If I wanted to hear your Sunday sermon, we're standing by the casket, by the way. There's a bunch of people lined up. If I wanted to hear your Sunday sermon, I would come to church, but I didn't. <laughs> That's pretty much how it sounded at the end. <laughs> And somehow, out of my mouth came, well, God bless you, sir. I have no idea where that came from. Have you ever had that happen to you? You're like, Lord, thank you, because I don't even know where that came from. But it came from heaven. Thank you, Lord. Some would say that what the blessing of Jacob would be something like this. Long live the king in the ancient world. That certainly was something that uh, people would do. Long live the king. Maybe just wishing him a long life. But I'll tell you what, in Hebrew culture, that's not the idea of blessing. When, if you're gonna bless someone, you would invoke the name of the living God and you wouldn't do it lightly. When Jesus was ascending in Luke 24, he lifted up his hands and blessed them the word for bless in uh, Greek is eulageo. It's where we get the idea of eulogize or a eulogy. And when you bless someone and you do a eulogy at a memorial service, what you're doing is you're speaking well of them. Pastor Michael, Genesis 47, we see an interaction between two nations. It's Israel and Egypt. From this monumental event, what can we take from that point? It is interesting, before we came on, Oscar, you mentioned that it's going to be a different pharaoh in the book of Exodus who knew not Joseph. And that pharaoh is going to cause a lot of problems for Israel. So here there's, there's peace, if you will, between the two heads of these nations. Uh, in the next book, there's not going to be peace, but God's even going to use that to bring Israel out of Egypt and then send them off to the promised land. And of course, we know that that's going to be a long, arduous journey as well, one that they lack faith. So I think that's part of what we can see here, Oscar, is that the heads of these two nations. And then we can see a lot of things that happen in Jacob's life from a big picture standpoint. You know, it mentions here that he was in Egypt for 17 years. You know, he got to see Joseph's face again, but then he got to spend a lot of time with family. And God really did a work. In fact, the chapter ends with Jacob worshiping at the end of his bed. The chapter ends in worship. And I think it's amazing to look at a life, to look at, you know, we could talk about Jacob, but let's talk about Oscar. Let's talk about Michael. Let's talk about one of our listening family right now. And you look at the big picture, call it a helicopter view of a life, and you ask the question, you know, look at how God's moving. Look at how he gave Joseph his dreams. He gave the baker and the cupbearer dreams. Uh, he gave the Pharaoh dreams. These dreams are coming to fruition. And what does that say to you? Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. 
You can follow us on Instagram at Living Truth Corona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.